Science and medicine have reduced all of life to the brain, to genes, to DNA, to atoms, molecules, quarks, chemicals, medicine, surgery. That is to objective, measurable reality. If it's not objective, visible, physical, measurable, it's not real. If we can't find a material solution to a problem, we can't fix it. On the other hand, hippies and humanists tend to do the opposite. They reduce life to feelings, to intuition, to transforming your consciousness, to the power of the mind, to manifesting reality using your mind. That is to the subjective reality of the individual. So everything can be explained by our thoughts, our feelings, our perceptions, and our interpretations. And the brain is irrelevant. Material reality is irrelevant. And all of us tend to emphasize one over the other. We all tend to emphasize certain fields of knowledge over the other. And we tend to colonize them, thinking that those are the only ways of seeing the world and we miss out other aspects of reality. And really, when we do this, we're blind, we're biased. We're not seeing the full picture. We're not seeing the fullness and the complexity of life. And we create weak explanations and weak solutions. On the other hand, every human discipline tends to excel in one or two areas, one or two perspectives on life, and it gives us remarkable insight into how life works, into how we work. And if we can, instead of deny, instead of clinging on to one or two disciplines or perspectives and denying all the others, if we can see how each one contributes something to our understanding, we get a much fuller picture. We go beyond the dichotomizing and the reductionism. And what if we could have a guide for that? What if we could have a guide to all the possible perspectives that are in play and how they all interrelate to each other? And Ken Wilber has proposed the four quadrants as the fun four fundamental perspectives on life, on human beings, on the cosmos. And these four quadrants play a huge role in this comprehensive, non-attached perspective. And this isn't just a philosophy game. These four fundamental perspectives are visible in all human disciplines, in all phenomena. And to really get an, actual, an accurate picture of politics or health or science or any other real life phenomena, even of your own, your own health, your own growth, your own personal life, your own challenges, your own opportunities, we ought to take the four quadrants into account. I think it's really crucially make it clear why they're important. First of all, is just because they expand your view. If you're curious about the world and how humans work, the four quadrants expand your view of the world, yourself and current events in a way that it's difficult otherwise. Really, it's like the key that can open your mind to a lot of other perspectives that you tend to close, close down to. Self-understanding is another one. It helps you understand how you fit to what's going on around you, how your challenges in life fit into what's going on around you, how your opportunities also do that, and how you are really both a subjective creature and an objective creature, an individual that is part of a collective. And 
it really gives you a much fuller picture of what's going on in your life. It opens your mind to all perspectives, to especially those you tend to deny or ignore. It can make you friendly to all disciplines, to all points of view, to all approaches, and it helps you see how they all fit together with one another. Whereas before you were so convinced that this little perspective perspective was the right one. Your career. Now, I think if you want to impact the world in some way, we are all impacting the world, but if we want to deliberately put into put into effect certain actions, certain projects, using the four quadrants is essential. And it's essential for understanding why that might not be working and also what opportunities are there and how you can take a more holistic approach in that. So before we go into the four quadrants themselves, I think it's really important to look at two basic categories that appear in the four quadrants. In other words, two of them fall into one category and the other two fall into the other. And that, we're going to call it a dichotomy. It's not really a dichotomy, but we have to call it something. We have, on one hand, we have the interior, the intangible and the subjective. So that's one category of life that's available to us. On the other hand, we have what I said that science focuses on, which is like the exterior, the tangible, the objective. So on one hand, there's what's inside of you. There's what is yours only and what you're only aware of and what all of us as individuals are only aware of. That's like the interior, the interior, the intangible. And then what's there's what's going on outside you and what you share with other people and the world that we all share, which is the exterior, the, the tangible, the physical. And actually, as human beings, and this is one of the ideas of the four quadrants, is that we have both those aspects living and breathing inside us, influencing us, us influencing them, And the same is true of all living beings. So that's interior versus exterior or intangible versus the tangible. And that's really important to keep in mind as you're trying to understand the four quadrants. The second dichotomy, although again, it's not really a dichotomy, is the individual and the collective. So In life, there are individual and collective dynamics that we can't reduce to one another. For example, if we're like a Marxist or a liberal, we tend to think that only collective dynamics are important. It's rich versus poor. It's privileged versus the unprivileged. You can't change your social social status because the system is set up uh, so that you can't and these collective dynamics are oppressing you. What integral theory says, what the four quadrants say is that there are both individual and collective dynamics that influence each other. You know, the individual influences the collective, the collective influences the individual. And in any given situation, both are in play and both might either might have a bigger effect than the other. And so we don't, we're trying to also open up to the fact that that is the case. So it's we're opening up to tangible and intangible and we're opening up to individual and collective as well. Let's go into an explanation of each of the four quadrants now and we'll start with the subjective quadrants. And 
In a simplistic way, we can think of these as the quadrants that we really only experience by being inside them. You can analyze them from the outside, but you, you don't experience them unless you're inside them, hence the interior. And you can actually think of the subjective interiors, the intangible, as sort of the, the flip side of objectivity. So any objective phenomenon, especially with living things, has its subjective side as well. Let's look at the upper left quadrant. There's four quadrants, we call them the upper left, the lower left, the upper right, and the lower right. And the upper left is what we're gonna call the I quadrant. So it's like individual subjective, the subjective life of an individual. In this case, we're gonna focus on human beings, but surely of any living thing or any whole on, which is a kind of an advanced point. For humans, our subjective experience means things like emotions, thoughts, body sensations, meditative states, spiritual states, dream states, etc., etc. Everything that makes up our subjective life. So, if you scan your objective, your subjective experience right now, you can experience the fact that you're having emotions, you're having certain desires of different qualities you're having sounds and images appearing in your mind, you're, you've got certain fears, you've got beliefs, you've got your interpretations. This is just a little snippet of the upper left quadrant. And as we'll soon discuss, the, the states, the stages, the lines and the types that we access in, in, in any particular moment will determine our upper left experience. So for example, each level of consciousness has signature characteristics in every quadrant, including the upper left quadrant. So the point is that upper left, our subjective life is very much dependent on the other factors that integral theory talks about, certainly including the, the lines or the levels of development. And in fact, according to integral theory, and this is sort of a deeper point, the upper left is available to all holons. And this includes not only living things, but all the way down to things like atoms, molecules, cells. In other words, these entities also have their own subjective experience in a, in a much simpler way than us humans do, for example, but according to the theory, they also have it. Great, let's look at the lower left quadrant now. So this is the interior of collectives rather than individuals. And that sounds like I struggled to understand the lower left for quite a while. Um, and this language sometimes doesn't help too much. Think of it as culture. Think of it as the intangible stuff that we share with other groups of people. So think of this maybe as the group mind, the intangible factors that hold groups together. Things like shared values, ethics, morals, worldviews, meanings, semantics, Group psychology, you know, <laughs> groups almost have like a new psychology that an individual, you cannot reduce to the individual. It's like they, when human beings come together in groups, um, new dynamics appear. So you can think of group psychology as part of the lower left or it's a lower left perspective on what's happening. The overall level of development of a group, so those of us who like spiral dynamics and the levels of consciousness and the altitudes and whatnot. We often talk about a country being rational or a country being traditional. This is a 
a lower left analysis of that country because it's sort of like you know if we <laughs> don't get too strict about language it's almost like we're analyzing the mind of the group we're analyzing the psychology of the group and you can't again you can't reduce that to the individuals um the individuals all together make up that collective mind so to speak group judgments group ideals so in certain you'll notice that in culture, certain things are allowed, um, certain things are taboo, and other cultures are not taboo at all. Um, there's certain words you can't use, there's certain things you can't say, whereas in other countries it's totally fine. This is all lower left material. Here's a good exercise for you. What is all the intangible stuff that you inherited by being brought up in your culture? So things like the taboos, the norms, the even the language that you use, the the ideals that you have, the values that live on inside you, even if you've long since left that culture. That's a good way of just seeing your lower left or seeing a certain aspect of your lower left that is fairly immediate and should be fairly obvious once you dig a little bit. Great, so we've looked at the intangible. We've looked at the, the subjective life of the individual and the subjective life of groups. What we're going to do is we'll move over to the objective side now, to the right-hand quadrants. And now we're looking at sort of objective physical reality as it appears in front of us. And you can think of it like that in a simplistic way. The upper right is the individual objective reality. Again, this... I'm using these labels because that's what Ken Wilbur does in his integral theory. I don't think they're that useful sometimes. Let me help you out with this one. If you say analyse a human being from the outside, instead of analysing ourselves from the inside, our subjective life, if we analyse an individual human being, we see things like a brain, brain waves, organs, blood, bones, <laughs> the skin, the face, the eyes how they behave, their demeanour, the way they speak. It's what we have access to when we are not that person and we're looking at them from, from the outside as another person. That is the upper right of the human being. And we all know this quadrant very well because we spent <laughs> years studying it in, in high school and university through things like genetics, medicine, biology and physics. What these often do is they focus on individual phenomena analyzing their physical exterior or their physical their exterior component um, while also tending to ignore sometimes the the subjective side. You could even see sometimes you can even say that these disciplines are actually kind of obsessed with the upper right. And this is great because Studying the upper right has completely revolutionized our understanding of the world. It's also completely revolutionized our understanding of our subjective life um, and how the two things are really kind of inseparable. You know, in sort of modern, modern psychology, modern sort of well-being, modern, even sometimes modern medicine and the more advanced people that are involved in that. You can see this more, it's really more of an integral approach. It's more seeing that the quadrants influence each other. And without modern medicine and without modern physics and whatnot, we probably wouldn't have arrived to that point.
So we we don't want to get caught in the scientific materialism where we're just reducing everything to the objective and often just to the individual objective. But we're trying to see how that links up with the subjective. And that's one of the reasons that the four quadrants are so powerful. Great, let's look at the lower right. Now, this is called objective collective. I like to think of it as like shared objective reality. It's like the objective reality that we all share together. I was watching a documentary recently about blue zones and the I can't remember who's behind the blue zone project, but what he's trying to do is he's basically trying to make the entire United States a blue zone. I wish him all the best with that. <laughs> it might need a, a few hundred years for that to happen. But what I've realized is the importance of lower right factors in our health, for example. And what, what I mean by that is things like transport, the road system, the, 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 the community, the opportunities that are available in the community, like classes and education and the, the importance of having areas where people can meet and exercise and areas that are, con communities that are conducive to people walking every day, for example, which in the US is not the case. And this, I think, is just a nice way of introducing the lower right to you. It's it's sort of like the, the solid stuff that we're all that we all participate in and share and it influences us. For example, not having sidewalks, we call them pavements in the UK. Not having sidewalks means that Americans can't walk, which has a whole host of effects in their upper right on their individual health and on their individual body, which also is correlated with uh, effects in the upper left and also it'll have effects in the lower left as well. But what what politics and um, what politics tends to do is it focuses on the lower right, things like the environment, social world, the our technology, our legal system, our economic system. And that's good, it helps us, it's one factor that we're looking at. And taking just seeing the lower right and seeing it as a as a as a perfectly legitimate explanation for some things and a and as a component of many phenomena it just helps us again like all the four quadrants do it just opens us up to seeing things in their wholeness and in their their full the full complexity of certain issues and we can actually the, the lower right stretches out beyond just like human systems. It stretches out to nature, the environment, to galaxies, to the cosmos, to everything that we share as an objective reality. Great, we've looked at each of the quadrants in turn. I really hope this has helped you understand them because it's it's taken me a while to get to this point where I can, where can, I, I can explain it to people. Just a few insights to round off here. Really important is to realize that all four quadrants are intrinsically connected with one another. And we actually think that we, we cannot necessarily say one thing is caused by factors in one quadrant or another. 
It's really that <laughs> things appear in several quadrants at once. And really, I think Ken Wilber said that things tetra arise. In other words, all phenomena have four quadrants, at least if they're holons. Um, simple example, we often talk about dopamine release, like the medical world talks about the importance of dopamine because low dopamine levels are correlated with depression and so on. And it's so, to me, part of me like just doesn't agree with that at all. It's like, to me, they're seeing it as though dopamine caused happiness or that happiness equals do dopamine. Um, and it's like, we're trying to reduce the subjective life, the, subjecting fe the subjective feeling of fulfillment and happiness and joy to a chemical. And it doesn't really make any sense. And if you look at it from the perspective of the four quadrants, or even from the perspective of the fact that the intangible and the tangible, or the subjective and the objective are two sides of the same coin, we can see that dopamine doesn't cause happiness, and happiness doesn't cause dopamine. They're just correlated with one another. Of course, if you inject someone with dopamine, um, which is sort of a, a, an upper right intervention, that obviously will have an, a neuroscientific effect and that will boost their mood levels, for example. But it's the, it's the deeper idea of reducing happiness to dopamine and saying that it equals a chemical when it, it really doesn't. At the same time, we're not saying that medical interventions aren't useful, but often if we're if we reduce the subjective to the objective, we think that objective solutions are the only way to cure depression, for example, which simply isn't true. Anyway, another insight. Our interior life is very much real. It's another dimension of reality. It's not reducible to the brain or to genes or whatever else. So just, for example, when you're reading scientific things and whatnot, just have this in your mind that what science is trying to do often is just trying to explain away the interiors, the interiors, the, the subjective. Um, bear in mind that we can't really do that from the perspective of the four quadrants. And also just from the perspective of having a holistic view of life and how it works. Another insight. The underlying reality of any situation is an amalgamation of perspectives from all four quadrants. And this goes down, this goes from a philosophical level to very much practical level in our everyday issues and how we look at the world, how we consider our problems. Everything is also always an amalgamation of perspectives from all four quadrants. So something to keep in mind as you're going around and thinking about life, thinking about the world, trying to understand things. Often, another insight, often we believe one one quadrant causes the other quadrants or it's like the the head quadrant and this just isn't true um sure in like for the example of injecting someone with dopamine or giving someone antidepressants for example to cure depression or to lift their mood one one we can have solutions that are primarily focused on one quadrant, but it doesn't mean that that quadrant is the only thing that's important. It's not someone's dopamine level that is important, it's actually how they're feeling on the inside and why they're feeling that way. 
beyond biological explanations for it. We, as humans, we tend to ignore certain quadrants, and it's a curious thing. We we just sort of believe that <laughs> our quadrant is, or our two or three quadrants are all all there is, and the other the other ones just don't exist somehow. And I do this as well. Like I'm really not immune to it at all. Another insight, and this is something to keep in mind as you're analysing sort of the levels of development active in you, is to realise that each altitude of development has its favourite quadrants and enemy quadrants. For example, uh, the green altitude or spiral dynamic stage green or postmodern or any other label you want to give it, we tend to dislike and distrust perspectives in the exteriors because probably we've come out of the rational stage where we're looking to for like objective physical we we reduce everything to the exteriors and we're looking for like scientific perspectives on everything at green we push against that and we sort of push against it too much and i certainly did this and we sort of we think that science is like a fiction and it's it's a a construction of the mind and it's 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 um it's not telling us any truth about reality. That's not true. It's true that it is not the only perspective, but it's a perspective that um, actually, if you look at the results science has brought us, we should be worshipping it. So that's just green. All other altitudes have their favourite quadrants and enemy quadrants. I'm not going to go into each of them, but it's just something to look out for and something to just think about as you're trying to deepen your understanding of say the levels of consciousness great in future videos in fact next week i'm going to be talking about the four quadrants applied and how how we can understand human life and disciplines and our own personal life in a new way through the four quadrants and there's, there's just another couple of points i want to make that you can actually further divide the quadrants each into two. So that you have eight, and Wilbur calls them zones. So you have the four quadrants, each divided into two. That gives you eight. These are called zones. And I'm not going to go into that here, but it's just another, another thing that you can explore in the quadrants and probably have resources on that coming soon. And again, I want to say that the four quadrants under Wilbur's theory, it's not just applicable to human beings or to animals or to all living things in as biologically we tend to see all living things, things that have a brain, for example. It actually goes all the way down to atoms and molecules, all holons, if you want to be really technical about it. But I'm not going to go into that right now, just be aware that the four quadrants apply to all living things and especially probably the most important human beings great thanks for joining me for this one as again um stick around for my four quadrants applied video next week subscribe if you like this video and stick around for much more videos on personal development philosophy spirituality meditation all that good stuff and also make sure to check out the Four Quadrants article that is on my site. About 7,000 people have read it the last time I checked, so pretty popular, and it'll give you some more insight into what the Four Quadrants are, help you understand them, 
and help you understand the implications of the four quadrants. Take care and I'll see you soon.